Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. Man, what a great time in the presence of the Lord in worship. Um, I love to worship the Lord. There's so much power and breakthrough in praise. You know, whenever you feel like there's a, a barrier on your life, uh, something that's kind of weighing on you, uh, man, praise breaks it off. Um, I love our worship team, man, Kalia, Judah, Melody, the team, everybody, Jeff, all everybody up here, awesome. But it is not their job to worship the Lord for me. Uh, it's my job to bring my best to the Lord in praise and worship. And uh, some, some of you perhaps are like, well, I don't really like singing. I, I don't know why we're singing like love songs to Jesus. That feels weird or whatever. Uh, and that's, that's okay. But um, man, when you understand the power of praise, we have a God who's worth worshiping, a God who's worth singing about. And there's something about these moments of, of praise and worship. And so I just want to challenge you. These are the moments to engage. We, we, don't, we, don't, uh, we don't go to church every day. Um, you can, you can, uh, you're not allowed to come here every day, but you can, um, you can go to church in your living room every day and, and spend time with the Lord. But, uh, but on Sundays together as the body of Christ, as the church coming together, there's power in our praise and worship. So let's bring our best to the Lord every Sunday. Amen. Amen. Guys, I'm going to talk fast today. I'm going to go quick. We got a lot to cover. I went over time in first service and you know, we don't want to let the Baptist beat us to the best restaurants today. So just got to. Unless you're a Baptist here today, come on, amen, and then uh, uh, you can do it, but uh, we're going to jump in. We're in a series called Rewired, and we're talking about letting God change the way that we think. You know, all of life is a reflection of how we think. You think good things, you're going to have good results. If you think the right way, you're going to have good results. If you think the wrong way, poor thoughts, you're going to have poor results in your life. And I think we, we've talked about that and kind of laid a foundation over the past few weeks on that. It says in Romans chapter 12, Verse two, this is the Apostle Paul uh, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Come on, God wants to give you the fudge and the cherries and the whipped cream on top of that Sunday. His will is good and pleasing and perfect. You didn't amen loud enough. I'm talking about ice cream today. Come on, we can all agree on that. Uh, I grew up in church and, and we always use the New King James translation. And so the way I learned this verse was do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a contrast here that there's two options available to us in life. We can either conform to the way that the world does things. And I'm including myself as part of the world. The way that I do things is not always good. Come on, somebody. Uh, the way that I do things is kind of a mess sometimes. We can be conformed and put into that mold and into that box of the way the world does things. Or we can say, God, would you, you know, knock on, on this, uh, this old skull here and get some of your thoughts into me so I can do things uh, like you do them. I can think like you think. I can be transformed uh, by the renewing of my mind. Now, I don't want to be conformed to this world. I don't, I don't think any of us do. Because when I look at the world around me, and I'm including myself in this, you know what I see? A big mess. How many of you would agree with that? Now, I want to be careful because I'm not throwing stones today. I'm not saying, man, here we are, all of us, you know, perfect, uh, righteous, perfectly moral, perfectly astute Christians. <laughs> like Christians from Harvard, I say, you know, whatever. Uh, and we're throwing stones at the world. The world's such a mess. Oh, the world's so bad. The big, bad, evil world. No, we're part of the world. How many of you know that we're the ones who made this mess? I always think like, how many of you think you have some people in your family that are crazy? Anybody? Guess what? You're somebody's crazy family. You're like, yeah, I got this crazy uncle. You're somebody's crazy uncle, right? 
So we have to take responsibility and say, I'm part of this world. Uh, I'm part of the results that I see around me. If I don't like it, I need to, to go a different direction and be transformed. But I don't want to be conformed and, and fall into the mold of the way that this world works because I seem a mess. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people, I hate messes. I get completely stressed out by messes. Anybody else here? Now, now you can be honest. It's okay. You're in church. Just tell the truth. Like, I don't like to be, I don't like people to, the worst thing for me ever is when my kids get food on my clothes. Daddy! And it's peanut butter down the pants or something. I, I'm not into that. I don't like it. I don't prefer it. It's not good. I don't like messes. And messes kind of stress me out. Now, I also struggle with laziness, so I don't like to clean up messes either. You know, it's just because it bothers me doesn't mean I'm going to do something about it. Uh, the bigger and more complicated the mess, the more stressed out I get. A couple weeks ago, the church staff, we were cleaning out uh, our closet. And you think, we've only been here for two years. How do we have to already clean out the closets? Well, we, we do. And uh, the reason we were forced to clean up that closet is because it was our mess as the church staff. And I don't want to name names, but <clears throat> Kyle, you know, had a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> no, it was all of us. It was all of us. But uh, we were cleaning out the, the church closet, and I, I was moving stuff out, and I, I, I saw this one corner, and I looked over at Nikki, and she was looking at me, and I said, does this stress you out as much as it stresses me out? And she was like, yes, you know. Uh, the mess just really is overwhelming to me. And when I look at our culture, I have that same sensation of feeling overwhelmed. Like, who's going to fix this? Who's going to do something about this mess that I see around me in the world? I told Bethany the other day, I was looking at Twitter, and I like Twitter. That's kind of my social network of choice, I guess. And I have multiple accounts, so you can't find me. You know, I can share my salacious views on one, and then it's hidden. No, I'm kidding. I'm teasing. But, um, but uh, I couldn't even look at it. There was so much disagreement division and people tearing each other apart and, and weird stuff. And it was just so messy. And I said, babe, I can't even, I can't even look at this because I was realizing that how do these, how do all of us people living in this culture who probably want the same things and for the most part do want the same things. We want our body and soul and spirit to be healthy. We want to have a nice life. We want our families to be safe. We want our kids to grow up in uh, and do what, what God made them to do. Like, we want the same stuff, right? Even people that disagree and, have, and come from different worldviews. So people that want the same things, how, how do we come to such radically different conclusions about hugely important issues? We think, you know, the real problem is this, and the real problem is if the, if the political, you know, the other side of the politics, the left or the right, would see it my way, then everything would be better, and we think that we've got it really really right, dialed in, and we can't understand how somebody who wants the same stuff comes to such incredibly different conclusions, and both feel completely justified and correct in their views, right? It's interesting because just looking at the political divide in our nation, uh, and it's not just a right or left thing, there's obviously factions and different, different sides of it. Both sides think they have the moral high ground. Both sides think that they have the, the, the truth on their side. Both sides think that they know what the problem is, who the problem is, and what to do about it. And how do we get to this place, this, this level of a mess? You know, how does one person call something health care and another person calls it murder? How does somebody call something gender clarity and another calls it gender confusion? How does one person call something freedom and someone else calls it sin? How does one person see something as their rights and another sees that same action as the infringement of their rights? This is the culture we live in. Is anybody live in America 2022 or just me? 
And it's not just like that here, it's like that all over the world. So how do we make sense of this mess? This culture that we call home, uh, this mess that we see, the disagreement, the division, all of this kind of stuff. And the answer that I'll give you, and I think it's simple, uh, but not easy, is that we need God to change our thinking. Because the reality is that though I may feel right, and I might think that I'm right, and I might even be right in some, you know, isolated instances, I am not uh, the final arbiter of truth. I am not a perfect uh, uh, lens to see the world through. And we need a third party to come in and make sense of this mess. We need God to actually change our thinking. It says in Isaiah chapter 55, my thoughts, this is Isaiah speaking for the Lord, speaking prophetically, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. Now, man, we could just talk about that all day. God doesn't think like you think, Rob, right? God doesn't think like I think. He doesn't think like you think. And you go, well, you know, I think he does. He doesn't. In fact, he told you that he doesn't think anything like you. We think, man, I'm really smart. I really got it. I'm really seeing this clearly. I know what the politics needs to do. I know what the president needs to do, all this kind of stuff. The Lord says, wait a second. No, no, you don't think like me. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. When I ask the question, who's going to make sense of this mess? I have to answer it this way. God, I need to get your thoughts into my head. Not Jake's thoughts about how to fix the world. Not Jake's thoughts about what to do with the mess. God's thoughts into my head. So we need to access God's thoughts. Now, what I want to do today is I want to make a a case for why we as Christians believe that the Bible is the primary way that God changes our thinking with the goal, and hopefully this is something that you kind of lean into today, but it's, it's a journey. I'm not expecting 100% you know, change on this right away, but with the goal that we adopt a biblical worldview where God's word, the Bible, God's, the scriptures, God's word ultimately shapes, listen to this, our core values and our common practices. Our core values and our common practices. Core values are the, the things that we value the most in life that we live out, out of. Uh, when somebody, and, and our common practices are the way that we reflect or live out those, those values. When somebody says, man, my top value in my life is my family, and then you look at their schedule, and they basically spend all their time doing something else other than spending time with their family, what does that tell you about their real, real core values? It's something other than what is being stated, right? But core values and, core pra- and common practices are the, the keys to life. They're kind of the handholds of our life. And when I talk about a biblical worldview, what what we're looking for is, God, get your thoughts into me so that my values look like yours and that my practices reflect what you think is important and what you see is valuable. That's what we're talking about when we talk about biblical worldview. Now, I'm going to get a little bit academic here. Please don't fall asleep. Don't run away. Go eat a donut if you need it. We're just going to get a tiny bit academic here. I want to define this term because I think it's valuable for us as we look into this today. Worldview, according to James Sire, he wrote a book called Naming the Elephant, which I recommend highly if you like to geek out on this stuff like I do. It's really, really good. Uh, He said this about worldview. It's a collection of attitudes, values, stories, and expectations about the world around us which inform our every thought and action. Worldview is expressed in ethics, religion, philosophy, scientific beliefs, and so on. Here's my definition here. Your worldview is the way you view the world. See what I did there? Yeah. You too can be a preacher. Three easy steps. 
Your worldview is the way you view the world. It's not what you see, it's how you see. And it's interpreted through the lens of your experiences, beliefs, and presuppositions. In other words, the things that you assume are true. All of us have presuppositions about the world. Now, common ones that, I can, that we can point out today is, let me ask you this question. Four plus four is? Well, why? Why? Because it? It is. It's mathematics, right? And that's something that we call an axiom. It's axiomatic. We presuppose its truth and it's self-verifying. So when we look at four units and add it to four, we see eight. We accept this sort of thing. Now, you probably are like, why are we talking about eight, four plus four? I didn't come to church to do math. Well, I didn't either. So let's move on. It's a presupposition. All of us have presuppositions, things that we assume are true. The fact of the matter is that everyone has a worldview. That's unavoidable. Everybody has a, you might call it a perspective, but it's more than that. It's like the lenses through which they view life. And because it's the lenses through which you view life, it also shapes and colors and influences what you do based on the information that you're receiving. Now, the thing is, we all see the same stuff. When you and I open up our phones and we look at our Twitter feed or we look at Facebook or we look at, we turn on the TV and, and uh, watch the news or whatever it is, we're getting the same headlines. We're all seeing that there's a war in Europe. We're all seeing that inflation is at, what is it at, like 50%? Now, I don't know. I just, when we go to the gas pump, it feels like, ah, you know, but whatever it is, we all see that, but our worldview is filtering it and coloring it. And this is why people that actually want the same things can come to radically different conclusions even seeing the same thing. And why it feels so frustrating, like, why don't you just see it how I see it? Well, they have a different worldview. Their experiences, their beliefs, their presuppositions have, are shaping what they're seeing. Now, it's unavoidable. We all have a worldview. But the challenge for all of us is to align it with reality. In other words, the way the world actually is. The way the world actually is. When I was 14 or 15 years old, my mom said, Jake, I think you need glasses. And, uh, and so she took me to the world's top uh, ophthalmologist, optometrist uh, at this uh, highly esteemed establishment, Walmart. <laughs> yeah, so we went to Walmart. You could get anything at Walmart, brand new eyes, you know, anything. So we go to Walmart. I go into the, the, the uh, optometrist there. They did the test. They did the eye puff test. Uh, you know, they, they got me all, all set up. And, uh, and I, I walk out and I remember this vividly, the rollback sign. Come on, how many of you like to see that discount sign? You know what I mean? I can get Pringles for 88 cents, right? Rollback, it's awesome. So I see the rollback sign. It was so clear. I look into Walmart. I'm looking into the distance and I see the, you know, the, the toy section and I see the, there's the DVDs and, you know, I'm so old. There was like probably like, you know, old jukeboxes or something being sold. I don't know. But I, I look into Walmart and I could see so clearly. Now, what was amazing is the store didn't change in the space of time when I went into the optometrist and came out. The only thing that changed was now I could see what actually was there. And this is what worldview is all about. Now, I'm gonna kinda get out of the academic stuff here in just a second, but I want you to think a little bit differently today about the Christian faith, because Christianity actually does not purport to be a religion. It is a religion in, in a sense, but it does not, that's not really the main idea. It really is the true story of reality. In other words, it describes the way things actually are and something that we can align our thinking to. The, the Bible is not just trying to give you a story about do these religious things or these spiritual activities and then 
this one deity out of many will kind of bless you and give you a better life and maybe send you to heaven to be a fat spiritual baby and play a harp when you die. That's not the idea. It's not just a religion among religions. The Bible actually has the audacity to give you a story about the, 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 what the real world is, who God is, who you are, and what your purpose in this life is. So it's the true story of reality. When we talk about the Bible, the Bible is God's version of reality. The Bible is God's story giving you the right perspective of who he is, what the universe is like, who you are and your place in it, how to relate to other people and how to relate to God. So someone that, that says they have a biblical worldview or someone who actually has a biblical worldview, they lean on the Bible as the ultimate authority of what is right and what is true. So when I talk about my faith with people in the world, I often will find myself explaining to them, I'm not a Christian on Sundays, and then the rest of the week I go to my real world. Like Christianity influences everything. Like C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not just because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. In other words, the fact that I accept that God exists influences how I think about science and mathematics. It influences how I think about philosophy and ethics. The fact that I believe that God is the ultimate uh, determiner of truth and even gives us the capacity for reason and intellect at all allows me to have coherent conversations and interact with other people and uh, not just think that our atoms and molecules are sort of bouncing off in the, in the, in the ether and it doesn't matter at all. Okay, I might, hopefully I didn't lose you, but stick with me. Are you okay? Everybody okay? All right, remember, go get a donut if you need it and come back in, right? You won't miss too much. So... Someone with a biblical worldview is saying, I have accepted God's story, God's version, his, his lens correction as the way that I view everything that happens in the world around me and how I respond to it according to what that teaches me to do. So what I want to do today is give you four honest thoughts on making sense of the mess, making sense of the mess. Now, the reason I said four honest thoughts isn't because I normally give dishonest thoughts. Um, I just thought it sounded cool, and because I got to write the sermon this week, I, it was up to me, right? So that's what I did. So today I want to give you four honest thoughts on making sense of the mess. Number one, and I am in a hurry because I, I ran out of time last service, so I'm cooking with gas. All right. Number one, distorted worldviews create distorted lives. Pastor Jake, why does this matter? Why do you care that we would have a biblical worldview? Isn't it just like whatever works for everybody is how we should live? And the answer to that is no. Because I want you to think about when you drive down the road, do you want the person who's driving next to you to have a clear windshield or not? Some of you, it wouldn't matter. You're such bad drivers. You know, I drive with you on the belt line. It wouldn't even matter. But if you were driving by somebody and you saw that they'd painted all of their windows, completely painted them over, and they were swerving back and forth, you would feel like there's a problem here, right? Or if they had kind of like the, the, the funny house mirrors or whatever that were distorting everything. So as you're driving, you have no depth perception. Like we understand the value of clarity when we do normal things like drive a car. This past week, I had an opportunity to um, do a bachelor party for a friend of mine. And we were in uh, uh, Las Vegas and we, I took him to a race car track and we raced Ferraris. That's what I did this week. What did you do this week? Um, um, yeah, it was amazing. I was so scared. I wish I could tell you I was brave. I was, and I was actually shaking. And the, 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 the race car driver that I was in the, the vehicle with, thank God he was there to guide me because I didn't know what I was doing. I can barely drive a Ford Flex, much less a Ferrari. 
And he, he, he goes, look, the mirrors are mine. All you have to worry about is looking right through the, the windshield. So they, they turned all the mirrors. I couldn't even use the mirrors. It was like, your job, what they're really saying was, idiot, is to drive straight. You don't know what you're doing. Your job is to look straight through the glass. So we get that when it comes to driving. But now we think about worldviews in our life. If you take the, the, this, this metaphor, this analogy, driving through the roads of life, driving on the journey of life, a distorted worldview creates a distorted life. It has massive ramifications. I'm going to tell you a story, and I, and I want to just be careful because I don't say this as a way to throw stones at anyone or to be critical. In fact, it's the opposite. I have deep compassion. A few weeks ago, I was on Twitter, and I saw this post come through, and it was a mom, and she said, um, I need help. I'm desperate. My, my child, uh, who's, I think, 18 to 20 years old, I don't remember how old, but a, a young adult, is suicidal. They're saying they're going to take their life. What do I do? And I, I opened it up, and I read the post, and, and this woman was saying, you know, my, my child, I think it was a, a son, uh, when he was uh, a, a little boy, he said, I think I'm a girl. And so this woman said, I did everything right. That was actually what she wrote. I did everything right. I took him to the doctor and the doctor gave the prescription to change hormones and all this kind of thing. And then we started looking into surgical intervention. And now, you know, 18, 20 years later, this, this young adult uh, is so brokenhearted, can't find a romantic relationship, feels like they don't fit. You know, we know the story, all, 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 all kind of messed up. And here's a mom who is absolutely shattered and brokenhearted because they have a child that is suicidal. And how many of you as parents just go, hey, we get it. Like, that's horrifying. Um, completely relate. And this woman was, was just lamenting. She kept saying in her post again and again, I did everything right. I did everything right. I did everything right. And yet you look at the results, the fruit that comes out on the other side. And I, and I was thinking to myself, oh, God. This is so sad because she was sold this bill of goods. She was given this idea about life. She was given a worldview and said, this is how you should operate in life. And, it, and it's distorted and, and, and the result of it is destruction. She thought she saw so clearly and ended up completely wrecked. And you go, Pastor Jake, why are we talking about that? Well, the point is this, that our worldview actually matters. It actually has implications and ramifications for our real life. When somebody says something nonsensical, like you have your truth and I have my truth, they're, they're smearing paint on your windshield. And then they're saying, here's the key, have fun. The reality is that what we believe about life, what we believe about God, what we believe about right and wrong actually matters for our real world. The, these things that we're talking about are, are meaningful and we want the same things. This mother, I relate to her 100%. She loves her child. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. Does that child have worth and value as a son or daughter of God? Yes. Come on, we don't even have to, we don't even have, it's not a hard question. Every human life has value. This person is deceived. They're not an enemy. And I'm not, and that's why I'm saying I'm not throwing stones. I want to be careful because I think in the church, sometimes we can appear like we're cold and callous that we don't care about people when the opposite is actually true. I love this woman. I love this, this person. I don't even know her. My, I'm, I've been praying for her. God, would you open some, some doors for, a, for somebody to come into her life and help her? Maybe it'll be one of us. But a distorted worldview leads to a distorted life. You know, when I think about Christianity, if God is real and the Bible is true, then what we should actually see is a coherence with the way the world actually works. The reason I'm a Christian is not because I prefer Christianity. 
I, people oftentimes will, will think that I like am a Christian because I like just love to go to church on Sundays and you must just like love Christian music, Jake, and you just love church and like you'd rather go to church on Sunday. No, no, no. Like there's actual NFL football games on Sundays. Anybody know that? Uh, I, I, if, if I had my druthers, I'd probably be an atheist because I like to be alone. I want to be grumpy and I want to have a British accent. I mean, all of these things fit <laughs> together. I'm not a Christian because I prefer the trappings or the outworking or the life of a Christian because I like to deny myself and take up my cross daily because I like to read the Bible every day. No, in fact, I don't prefer those things. How many of you that are Christians and followers of Jesus would say, actually, being a Christian has a cost? Yes. And if you haven't discovered it yet, you will. I'm not a Christian because I prefer it. I'm a Christian because I find the Bible to give a coherent and cogent answer to the deep questions of the material universe and my own soul. In other words, I look at the world around me and I think, where did it come from? Where did it go? Where did it come from? Cotton Eye Joe? No. <laughs> Second service always brings out the dad jokes. I don't know. I'm sorry. I look at the material universe and I go, the fundamental question of metaphysics that Leibniz asked, why is there something rather than nothing? We have to make sense of this world we call home, this physical universe. But I'm, I'm not just a, a physical material being. I have longings and, and desires in me for meaning, for transcendence and, and relationships and a desire to make something of my, myself in the world and, and do something with my life. And so when I think about the Christian faith, it, it fits the universe that I find myself living in. I want to give you something really quick, running out of time here, but I call it the tripod of truth. So if somebody says, why are you a Christian? For me, there's a tripod. There's three things that, that I sort of rest this faith or belief on. Number one is my experience. I've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. It's real. Uh, I'm not going to go into the story, but I've had a real encounter with Christ that I, I couldn't say was just emotions or it was just somebody manipulated me. Like, no, I experienced God's presence. Maybe you've experienced God's presence today, but experience is one of the reasons I'm a Christian. Number two is evidence. I believe that as, as Christians, you should actually look for the evidence for your faith because if the Bible is true and God is real, then you can turn up the rocks. You can ask the hard questions. You don't have to be afraid. There is evidence. And I've searched deeply. Uh, you know, there's nobody more skeptical than a pastor's kid. I grew up in church and I like wanted to make sure that it was real. And so for me, I continually ask difficult questions and challenge uh, what I accept as truth because if it is true, then it will be found to be true. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? So it's good to search for evidence. And then third, examination. Experience, evidence, and examination. Examination is, is looking at the other options, uh, the isms and the osophies and religions, and say, which one actually makes the most sense for this world we call home and the experience that I have living in it? One of the things that I'll share with you as a believer is oftentimes we get challenged as Christians. It's like, well, you know, your faith is just kind of fairy tales, and you have your truth, I have my truth, and so on and so forth. The best question you can ask someone is, okay, Yes, I do believe in God. I believe he created the, the universe. I believe that uh, he sent his son Jesus to die for my sins. I accept the Christian worldview and I accept the biblical narrative and that story of reality. What do you believe? Because what you'll often find is that many people have a completely incoherent, nonsensical uh, worldview. You know, what, I, what I often find with people when I'm discussing things with them is that I'll say, well, where did the universe come from? And we end up talking about aliens. So we both have crazy beliefs. 
Let's just, let's just have a burger together, right? I believe in like a spirit and you believe in aliens. Because that's what ultimately, if you accept the laws of science, like the laws of thermodynamics, the first law of thermodynamics, that matter cannot be created or destroyed. Sorry, guys. I don't know why it's doing that. It's always in the good part of the message, too. All right. Is that all right? Let's see if I can walk. I'm Italian. I have to move my hands and walk. Otherwise, I can't talk. All right, here we go. The law of increasing entropy, the second law of thermodynamics, that energy is always becoming less useful, which means the universe had a beginning because we observe that energy is becoming less useful. So if the universe had a beginning, then what caused the universe? And at this point, you have to have an answer for that, whether you're a Christian, an atheist, an agnostic, or you believe in the great spaghetti monster in the sky. But what we, what we have to do is, is look at and examine the various options that are available for us as worldviews. And, and ultimately, the point is this, that distorted worldviews create distorted lives. Therefore, we want to find a clear view of reality. I've found the Christian faith to be a clear view of reality, not that makes me comfortable, not that I always like, and not that I live out perfectly, but one that gives me clarity. All right, you with me? Number two, we may want the same thing, but not all paths lead to life. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. My dad used to say this to me, I never see as clearly as when I'm deceived. Have you ever had a moment in life where you just thought, I'm right, I know what to do, and then you just end up smashing your face into a wall, like you just went the absolute wrong way, but you were perfectly clear that you were doing the right thing. I was talking to a young guy recently who's getting married, and he's not a Christian, but he, he, wants, he wants what a Christian marriage is. And so he was describing his relationship. He was saying, you know, if I will continue to make money and stay fit and kind of be the best option, you know, then, then I'm hoping that she kind of sticks with me for the long haul. And if she, you know, stays uh, fit and, and keeps doing the stuff I want, then I'll stay with her. And it was very kind of like we have to earn it and, and, and hold on to it. And I said, well, and he, he didn't like that, but he kind of felt like that was the only option to him. And I said, he goes, there's nothing like it where, where a marriage is just safe. And I said, well, let me stop you right there. I said, actually, Christian marriages are safe, but, but not for the reasons you're listing. I said, the reason that I feel safe with my wife, that she's not going to abandon me when a better option comes along, because that happens all the time. <laughs> the reason I feel safe is because Bethany loves Jesus more than she loves me. And the reason Bethany can feel safe is because I love Jesus more than I love her. My love for her is rooted in the core values of loving Jesus and understanding that with clarity, the best flourishing I can experience in this romantic marriage is not going to be finding whatever best option is right now, but the longevity of a life lived together, serving each other and pouring mutual love into one another as Christ taught us to do. Core values, common practices. And he was like, okay, well, I don't know. I'm going to keep being not a Christian. All right, cool. We all want peace. But there is no peace without the Prince of Peace. We all want love, but what is love without definition? We all want hope, but what hope is there in a world of time plus slime plus chance in a purely material universe? Really, what hope do you have? If there's nothing more than once the clock runs out on you and you just sort of go back to be worm food. We all want community and to belong, but what community is there in a world of racial, economic, gender, and generational division? 
I say this often, but man, when you, when you think about what we're doing here today, this is an act of subversive spiritual warfare because we don't vote the same. We're not the same race. We're not the same gender. Uh, we're different socioeconomic classes, and yet we're here united together. No, nothing else in the world works like the church of Jesus Christ because here we're united in something that is bigger and higher, higher ways, higher thoughts than, than our own sort of petty squabbles and troubles. The reality is that we need a king But a king brings a kingdom, and a kingdom is law and order, the king's will and the king's ways. And it draws to the words of Jesus in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. To our relativistic ears, where we just want to say, man, everybody's beliefs are equally valid and good, and all worldviews and paths basically get you to the same place, we're all just looking at the same diamond, different facets. Everybody's touching the elephant, but somebody's got the tail, somebody's got the trunk, you know. It's like, well, thanks, Dr. Seuss. But anyways, Jesus is very exclusive. He's saying, my way, or the highway, my truth, I am the truth, I am the life. A person wants their kids to be happy and safe and fulfilled. We want our marriages to last. We want to make a difference in the world and and see our lives make a difference, but Jesus is clarifying this, that we may want the same thing, but not all paths lead to life. Number three, third thought. Christians, if you are a follower of Christ, we desperately need to get back to a biblical worldview. A recent study was done by two different institutions, both reputable and, 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 uh, reputable and, and excellent, uh, and they revealed that among the 180 million American adults who say they are Christian, less than one out of 10, 9% has a biblical worldview. So they had this survey and they asked them questions on key social, moral, and different issues. And when they actually looked into it, many people, in fact, the majority, 90%, that said, I'm a Christian, follow Jesus, you know, that they identified as Christian. Obviously, there's all kinds of stripes in, of Christian, but only one out of 10 had a biblical worldview. One of the, the men that was a great influence in my life, he actually died the year that I was born, a man named Francis Schaefer. If you look him up on YouTube, he, he looks like a total weirdo. He wears like lederhosen because he, he was in the 60s and 70s, but he's an absolutely incredible genius and a, and a great man of God. But he talked about Christians uh, following sort of the drift of Western civilization into what he called the upper story and the lower story mode of thinking. Now, I'm going to do this quickly and just kind of give you this, but this is how we think in the West, that we've basically divided the upper story and the lower story. And in the upper story exists our spirituality. It's kind of like mysticism, uh, myths and stories and ideas. And on the lower story is science and uh, laws and kind of like the real world, if you will. And what Christians have done as modernity kind of came together with faith is we sort of made a contrast and said, well, I'm either a person of faith or I'm a person of science, and we divided the upper story. But Christians wanting to exist in this world said, well, what we'll do is we'll sort of move the doctrine of God's word being truth, and not just truth about spiritual things, but truth about everything, and we'll put it in the upper story. And this is where we get these sort of nonsensical ideas, like, well, you have your truth, and I have mine. This only works in a world in which we accept that there is an upper and a lower story. In other words, that God's truth doesn't actually speak to the sciences, that God's truth doesn't speak to laws, that God's truth doesn't speak to our politics, that God's truth doesn't speak to the way we spend our money. Sorry about that, guys. Do we have that other mic? Just I don't want to be a distraction. Where's it at? Check. Is that all right? Oh, man, I'm an Italian. I, I need my hands, so I'll do my best. 
um, we accepted this upper story, lower story version of reality. And so what happens is we push our, 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 our views and we say our truth sort of lives in the upper story and it doesn't influence that lower story. And that is, the, that is not biblical worldview. You see, the Bible speaks to all aspects of life. And so I want to ask you this question. As a follower of Jesus, is the Bible your authority? When it comes down to answering the question of what is true, what is right, what is, what is real, is the Bible the thing that you say, ultimately, I hang my hat on this, on God's word. I, I hang my hat on what God is saying. Thank you, Kyle. See, I was throwing shade at you earlier and you came through. <laughs> He's awesome. Appreciate that. Ah, I'm Italian again. Come on, somebody. Forget about it. Have you, as a follower of Jesus, and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus today, you can still answer this question. Have you adopted an upper and lower story view of truth? In other words, do you see your faith and your worldview as kind of part of that mystical, spiritual, it sort of exists apart from the real world kind of a thing? And then third, uh, uh, or fourth, rather, my fourth thought, and we'll finish up today. There is hope. Because God's word, the Bible, speaks to all of life. And as we wrap this up and we talk about comparing worldviews and, and going through these academic definitions, ultimately, I'll tell you why I have so much hope in life. Because I believe that there is a God. In the words of Francis Schaeffer, there is a God and he is not silent. He didn't leave us in the middle of the mess and say, figure it out. You just kind of end up where you end up. He said, let me speak to you about who I am, how the world is, who you are and your place in it, and how to have meaningful relationships with other people. There is hope because God's word, the Bible, speaks to all of life. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes to his spiritual son, Timothy. He says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach, teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. When I look into the Bible, when I study God's word, it changes how I think and I'm transformed. I am not validated in my opinions and my thoughts. Sometimes my thoughts stumble into aligning with God and in those moments I go, man, but for the grace of God, I would be in a distorted worldview here. But the reality is that what I often find is I look into the mirror of God's word is that it, that it challenges me, it, it, it provokes my, um, my pride it provokes my self-righteousness. It provokes my sense of thinking I'm better than someone else. And it calls me to another way of life. It calls me to the way of Jesus. And it calls me to see the world very differently and to see God very differently. When I look into the scriptures, I don't see the God who is mocked and, and uh, parodied in our culture as kind of like Zeus, the almighty smiter, smite me kind of view, or, or the absent God or the God of the televangelists. I see the God who stepped into the mess of human history in the person of Jesus Christ and actually ministered to us in our pain. I don't see a God who is so transcendent and powerful and big that he sort of ignored our problem, the God of the deists and the philosophers. I see a God who got into our story and actually suffered alongside of us so he understands us, as it says in the book of Hebrews, that we have a high priest who can understand and sympathize with our weaknesses, who is tested and tried as we are, and yet without sin. I see a God that gives clarity to the deep things of life. The Bible answers the three fundamental questions of life, and we're going to finish here, and then we'll pray and rush to lunch.
as is appropriate for us as believers to do. The three fundamental questions of life, what is real? What is ultimate reality? What I see in the scriptures is that God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. That I can understand this material universe, that faith and science are not antithetical, but rather the twin pillars of understanding the world we actually live in. Because there is a God with intelligence and reason who created the system, I, as a human being, can study the system and find coherence and mechanics in this system and see the laws of science and the laws of logic because there is a God who created and sustained the universe. Because there's a God who created and sustained the universe, he can answer the question, what is true? I believe that all truth, in the words of St. Augustine, all truth is God's truth. Truth is knowable because God revealed himself in scripture and ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. So we don't have to live confused with a distorted worldview. We can see with clarity that there is a God and we can understand his words and he gives us clarity and the ability to operate coherently in the world around us and even converse with each other and have meaningful relationships. Number three, what is right? This is the question of morals and ethics. We can interact with God and others in a life-giving way. God's moral rules, his laws, lead to the most human freedom and flourishing that is possible. You see, where we live in a world in which God's laws, his views of sexuality, or God's views of how we're to treat each other and, 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 and operate with one another are scandalous to the mind uh, of our culture, and even to me sometimes. I don't want to be nice to my enemies. I want to defeat them. They're my enemies. That's what makes sense. And yet God says, wait, they're not your enemies. They're your brothers and your sisters. Your job is not to defeat them. It's to love them in a subversively good way. Very different. And because we follow God's laws, though they're often hated and mocked and ridiculed in our culture, what we ultimately see is that if, the, if God is real, if the Bible is true, and if God is the creator and he created truth and he's the one that's giving us these laws, they are what is going to give us the most freedom and flourishing that is possible. And that's why I say that there's hope because we don't have to live confused. We can lean into God's word and we can let him change the way that we think. And the result of that is that we live a transformed life. Amen? Amen. Thank you. I'm going to take a deep breath now. <sighs> Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word today. God, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, I know we were moving quick through these things and there's a lot to be said. I pray that there would be clarity. And God, I pray that any part of my personality or way I say things that could be offensive or taken the wrong way would be cast aside and we would just lean into the value and truth of what you're speaking to us today. We'd lean into your truth where you said that you would transform us by changing the way that we think. We invite you to change how we think. God, I pray that we would not be upper lower story Christians, but that we would embrace what it means to follow Jesus in all facets of life. That we would be uh, men and women who are able to engage and love the culture that we're a part of, even to invade this mess with your grace, with your love, not because we're creating more of the mess, but because we're seeing clearly according to what your word speaks to us. God, draw us into the scriptures. Give us a deep hunger for your word. Lord, we're, we're desperate for you. We love you, and we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes real quick. I just want to give an opportunity to anybody that's here today that has not made a decision to follow Jesus. I was uh, mentioning that I was with someone recently that isn't a, a believer, and um, I, I love this young man, and I'm, I'm speaking to him, and he was asking me about my life, and I just said, well, to understand me, you need to understand that I, I just, 
I love Jesus. I, I want to like follow Jesus in every area of my life. So if you're asking me a question about marriage, if you're asking me a question about politics, like I'm going to do my best to, to live it out through the lens of my Christian faith. You know, I think many people have looked into the Christian faith and they've seen uh, something that's not very authentic. And I'm not inviting you. Yes, you can join Joy Church. Come on, we'd love you to be here. But I want you to join Jesus Christ today. What I'm not inviting you to is some religious experience. I'm not inviting you to even just a creed. What I'm inviting you to do is meet the Savior of your soul and to to give him your allegiance and to trust in him, to confess your sins and the areas that you know on the inside that you have broken God's laws and to say, Jesus, I need you to save me and I want to follow you with my life. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? Pastor Jake, I'm ready to make that decision. Thank you so much. Awesome. I want to follow Jesus. Thank you so much. Awesome. Let's pray this prayer together, all of us together. Dear Jesus, I give you my life, every part, and I thank you for saving me. Thank you for your forgiveness and mercy. Revealed to me at the cross. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.